Kako saves the day. The Blue Shirts rookie propelled them to a huge win in Dallas Tuesday as they stay right in the thick of the playoff race. We chat with Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks about the latest surrounding the Blue Shirts playoff push. Mika Zibanejad's sensational play and if Chris Kreider can return this season. My old teammate and one of three Rangers with five goals in a game joins the show. It's the great Donnie Murdoch. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats with the New York Post. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats, a New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate the show five stars. Write a nice review. We will now be releasing episodes on Wednesday afternoons for the remainder of the season, so set your calendars accordingly. The Post Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks is back in the saddle this week. We are also joined by former Ranger and Studio 54 visitor Donnie Murdoch. But now, here's your host of Up in the Blue Seats, number 10, Ron Duguay. Welcome, Ranger fans. And yes, it is an exciting time right now. It's just so good to know that the Rangers are competing for a playoff spot. Last night in Dallas, uh, Tuesday night, they score four goals. They win 4-2, Capococco. Had a career high, scored two goals, which is good for him. He's needing that confidence right now. They are now three points back of the Blue Jackets and Hurricanes, who both have 81 points. And then when you think about the Islanders, the Islanders, two points behind the struggling Islanders, and they are struggling with their injuries. The unfortunate thing is, and this is what I was hoping, is that the Islanders and Rangers would play off at some point in the last few games, but they're not. And so this could end up being Ranger-Islanders. Who's going to make it in? Who's not going to make it in? But until then, the Rangers continue. They have some games coming up. They play tonight in Colorado, another tough game back-to-back for the Rangers. The exciting times right now to be a Ranger fan. And Ron, the Panthers have also entered the picture. When you look at this playoff race, it's pretty bunched up, man. I mean, you got the Panthers, you got the Blue Jackets, you got the Hurricanes, and the Islanders right there with the Rangers. I mean, there's a lot of teams you got to hop over and a lot of tough schedules, Ron. The Rangers only have four games of the remaining 13 against non-playoff teams right now, and some of those teams are fringe just outside the playoffs. So this stretch is going to get very difficult for them. Well, it's going to be difficult. And as a Ranger fan, like I said, this is going to be very excited. And I like to think that if the Rangers can stay healthy, I know Kreider's out of the lineup, but the Rangers can stay healthy and they can get some good goaltending. We've seen them. You saw what they did in Dallas. Dallas is a good team. They can compete against the best. And I think the best playing the tough teams brings the most and the best out of the Rangers. So, uh, and it's a good opportunity for some of the younger players to shine right now, like uh, Kako scores two goals. What does this mean for him? Moving forward, I'm looking forward to the remaining games in the next couple weeks because I think the Rangers have a real chance of making the playoffs. And only five games left at home, Ron. And listen, the Rangers have been better on the road. 19-12-2 on the road, 18-16-2 at home. So maybe it is better they're on the road. Is that just a coincidence? Or maybe this team just has a better mindset playing away from home? Well, having played the game, I can tell you your mindset is completely different when you go on the road. Because when you go on the road, you're kind of the underdog. You're not expected to win. And so you kind of go back to the basics and playing well defensively. is basically trying to shut down the opposing team when you're at home. 
home, you're playing to the fans. So you're really going after scoring that first goal and the second goal. So you tend to open up a little bit more. So your mindset's different. And I've seen this with these younger players. They feel more comfortable playing on the road. Back in his usual weekly spot this week is longtime Ranger beat writer for the New York Post, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Let's get right into it. Last night, impressive win by the Rangers. A really nice bounce back win. Impressive performance, I think, straight through the lineup from the goaltender out. They got terrific performance from... Adam Fox, as usual, um, a big a big night for that pair, big night for Fox, uh, big night for Kako, uh, good night for Zibanejad, what else is new? It was, it was a complete game. They seem to be a much more buttoned-down, confident team on the road these days, and so they've won 10 out of their last 11 on the road, have two more to go on this trip. It was an encouraging performance coming off a week at home in which – they really hadn't played all that well. The week was just so jacked up by by Zabanajad's five goal game that it that it kind of overwhelmed what had been going on with the team, and maybe that was good. Um, although Saturday night, obviously, it didn't didn't turn out too well for them against the Devils. Can you put your finger on um, on this young team being a good road team? Because most of the time, it's a little bit harder for a young team to perform on the road because of the composure you need to have and the pressure. Why do you think this young team is capable of playing well on the road? I think perhaps uh, they've gotten a little better goaltending on the road the last couple of weeks, the last three, four weeks since they've been in the stretch. I think I do think their goaltending has been a little bit better on the road. But I think when you go back to, to trying to figure out a younger team, maybe there's a little less pressure on the road than there is at the garden. Maybe at the garden, younger guys and and even sometimes veterans, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure you went through this, feel you have to put on more of a show at home for your for your home crowd. I know the Tortorella Rangers were a more buttoned down team on the road than, than they were at home because they, they felt no compunction about going into the shell on the road, whereas at home they wanted to be a little bit more entertaining. So perhaps that's part of an explanation, or perhaps I just made that up. I don't know. But with Zabinajad, what is it that you're seeing in his game right now? With Kreider out of the lineup, you thought maybe there might be some struggles, but he's kicked it up a notch. I, I, you know, he, he grows by the week, honestly. I mean, his, his, his progression over the last two or three years is remarkable, and it is essentially just a, an unbroken linear climb for for Mika who is almost putting the team on his shoulders right now from an offensive standpoint he's shooting the puck but he but he's he's always been more of a shooter than a dispatcher as a center anyway so I'm not sure that his mentality ha- has changed all that much without Kreider on his left and I think Buknevich is becoming a little bit more involved in the play without Kreider I think that's really a good sign to see from from Pavel, who is, has been more involved. I don't think his game the other night was particularly good, but I'm talking about New Jersey, but really nobody was, so should probably just leave that one out. But I, I just think Zibanejad at this point is supremely confident, feels that anytime he shoots the puck, he's going to score, and basically that's what's happening now. And and so I think everyone who plays with him is getting that kind of a lift too. I think, and, and again, we've talked about this a lot, the, 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 the bifurcated attack of the Rangers where you've got Zibanejad on one line and Panarin on the other gives them something they haven't had in a very long time. They're credible threats whenever they're on the ice. And now, of, of course, David Quinn is, is giving them a little bit more ice times. Ibanejad's, you know, piling up minutes now. And so there's always a threat on the ice for the Rangers. Puts a lot of pressure on the opposition. 
You made a mention last week that you felt with Kreider on the lineup, uh, Kako might be a good solution for on that top line. After scoring two goals last night, do you think that time is coming? I'm not sure because I, you know, I also had had said last week and had written last week that that there are there are reasons for putting him up there and the reasons for not putting him up there. And one of the reasons for not putting him up there is the fact that he'd have these checking and defensive responsibilities for say 10 to 12 minutes a night of five on five against the opposition's top lines. I, 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 I'm not so sure that David Quinn wants him in that position. I, I think, actually, I'm pretty sure that he hasn't wanted him in that position. But I think Kako's offensive game has improved a lot in the last three or four weeks. He's playing with a lot more confidence. There's another gear to his game, I think, offensively. He's looking to shoot the puck a little bit more often. I think he's, I think he's playing faster in the offensive zone, which which is something the coaches have wanted him to, to do all year. There, there's more of a, I think, recognition of, of what's right in front of him now. But his play without the puck is, still needs a lot of work. And I'm just not sure that the Rangers are confident that he can handle those kinds of, of minutes against the opposition's top two lines. So I, I can see David Quinn sort of mixing up combinations when things aren't going right or when he's down a man as they were last night when when Hedl went down. But I think he's probably still more comfortable with him on the third line being able to move him at different junctures of the game. So look at a Giuseppe who's up there. Um, I watch his game and he plays with a lot of energy. He's got good speed and I think he understands his role on that line. Uh, your, your thoughts on him? Are you satisfied with him being up there the way he's been playing? You know, I, I think in a lot of ways, it's a do no harm position. Just do no harm. You know, don't turn the puck over. Don't make too many mistakes and let Zibanejad figure it out. You know, let, let Zibanejad and, and, and Buknevich figure it out. Stay out of the way. You know, win your one-on-one battles. Be defensively responsible. And, and I think basically that's exactly what Di Giuseppe is bringing to that line. He's playing a very simple game. He's playing up and down. He's he is um, diligent in his in his in his back checking work. He's he is reliable in his puck support. So I, I think from that sense, he is a good placeholder for Kreider, who um, has begun to skate. Although I I wouldn't move up his timetable too quickly. Uh, let's talk Panarin. Uh, I know uh, in one of your articles you uh, you had mentioned how he has slowed down in his goal scoring. Uh, do you see him being able to score forty goals as Zibanejad did this year with the way he's playing right now? Yeah, what he, he would need eight more. I, I don't know that he's getting eight in the final 13. I'm not sure. The opposition's collapsing on him all the time. They're, they're, he, has, he is playing with so many pucks. I mean, I'm sorry, so many sticks and legs and bodies uh, in front of him now. Guys are collapsing on him very, very quickly. I'm not sure that he's getting eight more the rest of the year. I don't think it particularly matters insofar as evaluating his season. We know what he's done for this team. He's setting up guys now. He's, you know, he's contributing to the offense every game. I, I think as the, as they head down to these final 13, I think the goal total is probably not critical for for Panarin as long as he continues to drive the pace and and accelerate the game and and uh, play well on the power play. I mean, they're, they're, you know, last night against Dallas, they did not score a power play goal in one, scoring four goals anyway. It's unusual for them. They Their power play kind of gets them going. What they cannot afford is to go, is to, and, and all power plays are streaky. I understand that, but they cannot afford 
to get into a bad streak now in their power play. That's their strength as an offensive unit. Their their power play, they have just jammed that power, that that first unit with their best players. They leave them out there as long as they can, and the power play is going to need to produce. I'm sure everyone's wondering if uh, you have any insights on Kreider. Uh, we, I believe, I've read that uh, today that he's been on the ice, skating a little bit, taking some shots, so that's good news. Can you add to any more of what we've read already about Kreider? Simple answer is no, I can't. You know, this is going to take its 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 course. It's a broken bone. It's a four to six week injury. You know, maybe it's maybe for for Chris, it's on the shorter side. But I think it's it's good that he's been able to get onto the ice. I I don't know how long or really if at all he was in a boot. Chris is obviously in good shape. I'm not sure um, if that's if obviously it won't hurt. I don't know that it'll help get him back on, but. You know, if he can play again before the end of the regular season, that will be a a plus for the Rangers. Well, thanks, Larry, for all your insights, and we'll talk next week. Number 10, right wing, Ron Duguay. I belong here. The way I dressed was different. I had the big 80s hair, and I probably became more popular a few years ago with doing television than I was as a player walk the streets and people recognize me. It's that time of the show where Ron Duguay tells a story from his past and Ron remembers Donnie Murdoch, your ex-teammate, joins today's show. And you and Donnie have plenty of memories to share. So, Ron, I'll let you take the floor here and tell a story of Don Murdoch. A couple of things come to mind. Some of it is, of course, Studio 54, and there's so many things, but this one time, and it's and it involves, of course, Nikki Fatio, the big prankster. And so we're on this long road trip. Uh, we start in Atlanta, and in Atlanta, there's this place that we would all go to if you were looking to get some really nice boots, cowboy boots or suede boots, whatever it is, we would go into this store in Atlanta. And sure enough, Donnie goes into the store and buys these beautiful suede boots, cowboy boots. I think he spent $500. At that time, $500 was a lot of money. And so now we ended up at the end of our road trip. Donnie's got these boots. He's loving them. He's dancing with them. We're in L.A. We play the L.A. Kings. At the end of the game, we're up all night again. We pull an all-nighter. The next day, we're on a plane, flying home. We're on a day off. And, of course, uh, Donnie and I felt like, well, we can just sleep home, right? Well, we're on the plane, and Nick Fotiu <laughs> waits for guys to fall asleep. And if you fall asleep, you never know what's going to happen when you wake up. Well, sure enough, Donnie Murdoch takes his boots off, and that's the one thing you don't want to do is don't take your shoes off, don't take your boots off when you're going to fall asleep near Nick Fotiu. Nick Fotiu grabs those boots, those $500 boots, suede boots, takes them. He has both pairs in his hands. We're on this flight, commercial flight. I believe there's about 150 people on this flight. He takes a Sharpie and he has everyone on the plane autograph Donnie Murdoch's suede boots, 150 signatures on these boots. He puts them back. And if you could just imagine, Donnie wakes up as we land. He slept the whole way. He lands. He looks at his boots. His boots are ruined. And I've never seen Donnie, who Donnie's got a sense of humor. I've never seen him be so angry. And the, the rest of us and the whole plane, we were just dying because everyone would just wait for him to wake up. So you got 150 people all started laughing and Donnie took a hit that one. So that's my Donnie Murdoch story. And my guest this week is a, a longtime uh, friend of mine, uh, New York Ranger, four years with the New York Rangers. In fact, he uh, made the all-time 100 all greats of the New York Rangers. He finished number 99. 
And I thought it'd be uh, fun to talk with him this week because in the news, Zavanna Jett, current player, scored five goals in one game. And my guest, Donnie Murdoch, was the first as a New York Ranger to score five goals in a game. I wasn't there. It was in his rookie season. So, Donnie, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot, Duke. It's always good to talk to you, buddy. Listen, in in thinking about that special day, because I wasn't around, was your rookie season. What can you tell us about that time and leading up to that game where you scored the full uh, the five goals? You know, it was the start of the season. My my first game in the NHL, uh, I got two goals my first game, and then uh, the next game we played, I got a goal, and then we played. We went to Minnesota, and, and then you go to Minnesota and uh, you end up getting five goals but you know and that you know like you never figure you're gonna have a start like that in the NHL but uh, talking about that game I but what I remember you know is uh I don't think I, I didn't get a goal in the first period but uh I got three goals in the in the second period I remember I scored the fourth one with about I don't know about a minute or something left and then uh I was on the bench and I, I think there was like 10 seconds left in the game and and Phil Esposito I was on a line with Steve Vickerson, Walter Chuck, and Phil comes to the bench and he said, uh, Fergie, John Ferguson was coaching us then. He said, Fergie, he says, put the kid out. He said, let's see if we can get him another one. The face-off was in, was in Minnesota's end. And, and uh, so me, I jumped on. As soon as Phil said that, I jumped right over the board. Like, yeah, here I go. Uh, I remember Phil saying, look at kid. He says, you just stay here. He says, don't move. He says, if I lose that face-off, I'll get it back to you. And he said, just stay right there. And, and Phil kind of lost the face off a bit, but he got it to me. And I took a one-timer and put it over the shoulder. I believe it was Gary Smith to get the fifth goal with about six seconds left in the game. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite an accomplishment. And it was like the Benedad, I remember reading what he said. It was just one of those nights that the puck follows you everywhere. I think for most, for the Ranger organization, this probably was not a big surprise because you got drafted in the first round, your uh, six overall. You played um, junior hockey in medicine hat. And when you look at your last two seasons where you scored, you scored 170 goals in 140 games. That is so impressive. So obviously you went into the NHL knowing that you can score goals. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, uh, you know, obviously that's what my forte was, was scoring goals. I just had a knack of being around that net, you know, at the right place at the right time. But, you know, be honest, you never thought, you're going to get eight goals in your first three games in the NHL. I mean, it was, it was so unsurreal. Like, you know, I just, I can remember after the game, just, you know, you, you're trying to confirm what just happened, you know, and you're going like, wow, you know, it just didn't, you know, you couldn't even compromise how, how amazing it was just to have a, a start like that. And so, Donnie, because I wasn't around, how did this set you up for the rest of the season? Because I know you scored over 30 goals, and I know you got hurt that season. But what did it mean to you as a person, as a New York Ranger, especially, I guess I want to get into a little bit of what it was like for you to be off the ice, the great Donnie Murdoch rookie. What did that mean for you off the ice? Well, you know what, dudes, let's be honest. Like, you know, you have a quick start like that, you know, and, you know, I ended up, I think I had 16 goals and right off the bat and all of a sudden you've got magazines coming to you and you know People magazine, New York Times magazine to doing articles on you. You're getting asked to do this. Well, obviously having a quick start like that as a rookie, you know, everything kind of everybody's going out of their way to kind of, you know, hey, here's this guy, look at this guy. And, and you know, obviously you're getting pulled here and you're getting pulled there. So like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing to have that start. 
and and get you know obviously you get noticed a lot more if you don't have a start like that let's be honest so it, it kind of kick-started everything to what I, what's going on what were your teammates like especially Espo Espo's on your team and and I had the pleasure of playing with Espo what was it like to play around a guy like Phil Esposito what did he mean to you well Phil was great Roger Bear was great too you know I remember coming in as a rookie year when I went in to sign my contract I hadn't even been on an airplane you know and, I, and we flew into New York City and uh, it was crazy and, and but Rod was there and, and Rod was really good to Grenner Wing and, and Phil was you know like what's better like you know Ronnie when you come into that dressing room at training camp and all of a sudden you're looking around and there's Celeste Zito, Rod Bear, you know all these guys that are around there that you watched on TV but it meant a lot for like Phil was great I mean he was great with you he was great for, with all the rookies I mean to have uh, leaders like Celeste Zito and Rod Bear out there to kind of you know, to take care of us and stuff like that was pretty amazing. Do you ever think about what your life or your career would have been like if you had decided, because you got uh, drafted by the WHA Cincinnati in uh, 12, I believe 12th overall. Do you ever think of what life would have been like had you have chosen to go to WHA or possibly be on another team in the NHL? Well, you know, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, you know, you say, well, if you didn't get caught up, I mean, New York City, I mean, it's, I love the city. Obviously, with the quick start and the bright lights and, and that, I got caught up in it. You know, do I want to put that as an excuse for what I, what my mistakes were in my life? I can't do that. I love New York City. I mean, you can – obviously, there's a lot more temptations out there and, and everything. And, and I was that guy that you read about that got caught up in it. But, you know, to say if I went to Atlanta or I went to Calgary or something, would things have changed? Who's to say? Like, I mean, there's only one person – that I can blame for for me not taking control better of my life situations, and that's me, Ronnie. You know, I, I can't I can't blame the city on it. I can't blame other things. I mean, you know, it's it's something that I live with every day. You know, like I ask myself that question: What happens if you got drafted by Pittsburgh? Would things have been different? You know, you can't. I can't look back at that and, and try to do that because, like, I mean, I, I love New York City and. And like, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but like you say, that you read about people get caught up and I got caught up in it. And it was, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't get myself out of it. So, Donnie, uh, we have to talk you and I. I, in my rookie year, 77, you've been there a year already. We get introduced and uh, we get along really well. And one of the things that we like to do is uh, after a game, go to Studio 54. Studio 54 had opened in uh, April of 77, and we ended up there. We ended up there quite a bit. <laughs> what are your memories of having gone to Studio 54? Oh, man, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I went in there, dude. It's like, you know, I went in there, and it was just, well, like you can see, it was something, it was like being on another planet, you know, to see, you know, especially for a small town kid, you know, to, you saw stuff in New York City, but that was a little too wild. And then, you know, I can remember, you know, all of a sudden you're running into Mick Jagger and Sylvester Stallone and, and people like that. And then I, you know, I ended up being friends with Mark because everybody knows Mark was the door guy. And, you know, he used to be, you know, you'd come there to be a hundred people in line and, and he would let us in there. I, I can remember there was 
skate, and you know this probably too, Ronnie. We had friends and other teams who were skating around in warm up, and there'd be guys saying, "Hey, Doc, can you get us into Studio 54?" I mean, that that was the place that everybody wanted to go, and uh, you know, and to be honest, I'm glad I was one of those guys who got to witness that place. It was something else, and like you said, it was it was an amazing place. Can you share with us any story with any celebrity that you spent some time with? Because I know Goose Gossage, right? I know you ended up playing catch with him one time, where he's throwing with you. Can you share any kind of stories about certain celebrities? Well, like I said, uh, I ended up there and in rooms. I ended up with Mick Jagger and Jerry Hall. And uh, I remember the same night, Jack Nicholson. I ended up with those guys at a party. And, and I ran into, oh, geez, there's so many guys there. And like, you know, the Rick Gossage story, we ended up being friends. And, and I ended up throwing pitch with him at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> in his backyard in New Jersey. We left Studio 54, but he said, let's go to my place for breakfast. Yeah, like, stories off hand, dude, we could probably, I could pray, we don't have enough time, but, you know, I just think of them, and the worst is I'll probably think of some stories after we hang out, but, uh, yeah, I just ended up, you know, especially leaving Studio 54, you know, you'd end up with some people, and then you'd end up going somewhere else. It was a wild place. Yeah, you and I have spent a lot of time uh, in after hours bars and at that point decide well you know what let's not even go to bed let's go right to practice so we've done that more than one so <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey dukes i had i had more pairs of sunglasses in my apartment because i used to leave studio 54 and it was six in the morning <laughs> there was a little place across the street i used to buy these sunglasses so i could go back into my apartment and you know people couldn't see what i looked like <laughs> Donnie, I need to ask a question because we have uh, fans that are uh, knowing that we're going to talk today and they have that one question one fan wants to know because a lot of what we went through in 79 was documented in a book called Thin Ice. And if you haven't read Thin Ice, you got to pick it up. What are your thoughts on what you read about yourself in Thin Ice or about the book Thin Ice? Because Larry Ratso was the writer. Uh, Sloman's his last name. He followed us for a whole year and he documented everything. What are your thoughts on that book Thick, uh, Thin Ice is one question from a fan. Well, you know what, Deuce, uh, there's a lot of, let's put it this way, there, you know, he, like you said, he hung around with us lots, you know, you, he, all of a sudden you think he's your friend. I mean, a lot of the stuff in there, you know, was true. A lot of stuff, I think, was stretched a bit. But then there was a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, hey, Rasso, this is off the record, you know, and oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And next thing you know, some stuff come out there that probably wasn't too excited about being in there, worded different than what I would have thought on my stories. But, you know, we were told to let them hang around with this. But, you know, I, I can remember after the book coming out, talking to JD and a few people, Gresh and them, and said, you know, you know, we kind of thought this guy was our friend. But then again, he's trying to sell books. And I, I think there were some things put in there that probably didn't want to be in there but you know i can see what his point of view is uh that but like you said he hung around with us for almost a pretty good year it's been such a long time and and uh i haven't really read the book lately i've got the book but i haven't read it but uh, like i said it's what the guy's got to do right yeah i think you and i need to get together one time and document everything that we went through you and i there's a book right there that's something we need to talk about. What what I'd like to know now, I think what the fans want to know, where's Donnie Murdoch now? What are you up to? What's life like for Donnie Murdoch? Well, things are good, good Dukes. Like you, you kind of, we talked earlier, you know, I, I own and, and operate a, a hockey 
festivals here. I do the radio for the junior team. And like I said, I kind of do a little coaching here and there. And, you know, that's basically what, I, what I'm kind of doing now. I was working with my brother. He owned a distributing company for a couple of years, and I was helping him out. But now it's just kind of, uh, you know, looking after the hockey stuff, you know, uh, trying to get involved with some other things, uh, talking to Danny Gear, maybe getting involved with the can ice and stuff like that. But uh, right now I'm just kind of doing my hockey schools and enjoying life, dude, you know, taking life easy and enjoying it one day at a time. Okay, now thinking about today's game and Donnie Murdoch of the past, if you were in great shape and you were in your prime stepping into today's game, how do you think you would do? Well, Dukes, I think in the, in the way the game is now, you know, even yourself and us, Dukes, I think because you had great tremendous speed and strength, you know, like I think with the game the way it is now, it would be perfect for a guy like me, you know, because it, you know, let's be honest, I grew, you know, when I came into the league, it was the Broad Street Bullies that won the Stanley Cups, and it was pretty physical. You know, you had to, you know, eight, ten guys, meatheads on each team going at it, but I think in a game like today that's fast, and, and like you said, being in shape and stuff like that, I, I think I would adapt really well to the game, the situation it is now. So back in your glory days with the Rangers, you were playing with Espo and Don Maloney. Fans want to know what it was like for you to play with Espo and Don Maloney back then. Well, you know, obviously you playing with Phil was, was, you know, he was the type of guy, Donnie Maloney would work the corners and Phil would get, you know, just get the puck to him. But uh, Phil would have two or three guys draping all over him. You know, and he'd make it a lot of times open for me. And, and like I said, that year he went to the Stanley Cup Finals, Dukes, you know, uh, Freddie Sherrill put us together. And, you know, they, they called us the Mafia line, the Godfather and the Two Dons. And it's highlight in my career to say that I got to play with Phil Esposito on a line. And, and like I said, it was uh, it worked really well for us. Yeah, it was, it was a great uh, connection, the three of us. Well, I'm going to end it there, Donnie, and I just want to say to you, we've always been good friends, and uh, you need to uh, really be proud and, and happy with what you have achieved. I know that you would love to have seen different different type of outcome, but uh, you've accomplished uh, uh, some stuff in New York. Ranger fans will always remember you, and I wish you the very best. We'll stay in touch, my friend. Hopefully, we'll hook up in New York. Okay, thanks a lot, Ronnie, and, and thanks again, and take care, pal. for episode 15 of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for producing the show every week. Subscribe to the show, rate us five stars, and write a nice review wherever you listen. You can also follow me on Twitter, at RonDuguay10. Thanks for joining us every week. Talk to you all next Wednesday.